Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Thank you for downloading this special bonus episode of Under Consultation where we look back at Games Master Live 1992 and we want to thank everyone that contributed to it. You guys are amazing. You know who else is amazing? Our wonderful backers on patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod who are currently listening to next week's episode a week early and ad free which features the Games Master debut of the CDI Johnny Herbert crashing into stuff and the first round of the magazine. Street Fighter 2 tournament featuring Paul Lakin from GameZone and Duncan McDonald from Zero. You know, the guy with the SNES tattoo. Get that episode now a week early and ad-free over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod. in Birmingham. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am Luke Owen, and I did not attend Games Master Live 1992. And I'm your co-host on this journey. I am Ash Versus, and I did, and I'm still bitter about The Simpsons' Escape from Camp Deadly. But more on that later. (laughs) See, I just did a bad influence there. I just did a bad influence. (laughs) And I am still bitter. This is our bonus episode looking at Games Master Live 1992, which took place uh, at the NEC in Birmingham across December 3rd, 4th and 5th. And yes, this is something we've been building to for quite some time now because the show has been promoting this event for quite a while and uh, you and I have been working, squirreling away behind the scenes, speaking to a lot of people that went to the show. I mean, you say you and me, I'll be honest and I'll hold up my hands, it's mainly been you. You've been a goddamn machine getting these interviews lined up and all the various people we've been speaking to and I very much appreciate it because uh, we're not reliant on me (laughs) having to remember this event from 28 years ago, which I'm very, very grateful for. And we don't just have uh, you or our interviews to remember this by because Dominic Diamond gave us an exclusive report from the three-day games playing orgy at Birmingham's NEC in the Games Master book. I did want to point out, I don't want people to think then, oh my God, they've got an exclusive interview with Dominic Diamond. No, no, no. It's Dominic Diamond's exclusive report from the Games Master book. Yes, the Games Master book, which we uh, we both have copies of. Now, it's going to be interesting as well because we've already recorded episode 11, which is where we sort of realised that we should have been referencing this book more. And you in that episode say that your copy is in the office, in your old office where we're now in lockdown, 
but you've now got another copy of it. I did. It was easier to buy another copy <laughs> off of eBay than it was to, to get to the office. And it arrived in record time. And not only did it arrive, but it's a library copy. It's got the Dewey, Dewey decimal number on the side and it's in one of those nice little plastic sleeves. And also, it's never been checked <gasps> out. Oh, what? That's a shame. Or certainly wasn't checked out during however long this particular ticket was meant to go for. And it's one of a number of books I've got that have been ex-library that have never ever been rented out as far as I can tell. One of the others is the novelization of Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> I don't know why no one ever borrowed that. Literally, I don't. It's actually a way better book than the movie was a movie. Uh, so Dominic says, It was a tough life on the rig and any break from the endless succession of chapped lips and salty semen that plagued us all, except Games Master, was always very welcome. Off to a banging start with that already. <laughs> There was, however, no more spectacular ashore leave when myself and the rest of the crew hopped into the surprisingly roomy Gamesmaster Chopper and flew to Birmingham's NEC for Gamesmaster Live. For those who don't know, Birmingham is a large city right bang in the middle of England. This heaving metropolis is famous for having a huge, complicated road intersection called Spaghetti Junction, and for the fact that my great aunt Jessie lives there. Since the dawn of time, it was these two factors that had attracted tourists in their millions. Well, in November of last year, they had a third, Gamesmaster Live. It was in December, Dominic. I mean, at that point in his career, the partying was beginning to start. <laughs> Who knows? Fun fact is, until recently, because Dominic has started doing streaming on Twitch, and it's an immensely entertaining stream. He does it daily, five days a week. I would recommend people go out and check it out, uh, twitch.tv forward slash Dominic Diamond Live. He has a bunch of jingles he uses when he's going into different segments and he plays them all himself on his guitar and sings. And it's amazing. <laughs> but one of his jingles leads into him telling stories from his long and storied career. And until this past week, as of time of recording, he'd actually been saying his 26-year career until someone pointed out it had actually been 28. <laughs> <laughs> he lost two years. In fairness, around the turn of the millennium, I think we all kind of lost two years. So yeah, it's understandable. Uh, Dominic continues, the basic idea was to do a game show to end all computer game shows. Sure, in the past they'd been okay, but they'd lacked the skin-ruffin entertainment with real pizzas type of feeling you can only get from the crumbs at the bottom of a packet of dry roasted peanuts, or from the greatest television show in the history of the world. One of the best things about Games Master Live was that many of the games companies there tried to do something a bit special. US Gold, as well as having their new games, had a mini roller coaster installed. Again, much to my regret, my mother wrote me a note to say that on a no account was I to be allowed to hurtle around and around at breakneck speeds. So unfortunately, I had to miss the dubious delights of that particular adventure. The same went for the flight and racing simulators and Virgin Games special Quasar booth. I missed them all. That's because you were in the bar, Dom. <laughs> Although in fairness, like of all the people we've spoken to, which we'll be playing, you know, the end of this episode, it sounds like everyone missed out on all of these sorts of things because the queues were too long. Which logically means that some people must have not missed out. However, they are not the sort of people which apparently are listening to or interacting <laughs> with under consultation, the Games Master <laughs> Retrospective podcast. So more fool on them. So by now you're wondering, what in the name of Lord was I actually doing all this time? And now what you're thinking, I just swander around, babes on each arm, drinking free Tizer, making deals and being treated like royalty. I wish. Every day I had to put up with 20,000 screaming punters with only one thing on their mind, to be picked to come up for our specially constructed portable rig to take part in a live version of everyone's favourite show. 
The main motivation behind the burning desire, of course, was to meet the man himself, Games Master, resplendent in a perfect mock-up of the game's rig that we like to call home, and waited on as ever by some bloke in a stupid red jacket I like to call me. Our Metal Maker Taker has always been keen to meet as many of you, the great unwashed as possible, and his endless patience did a natural joie de vivre, was in full effect at the NEC as he chatted for hours and happily signed autograph after autograph for as long as there were eager young things waiting for their moment with their hero. Now, we also know that that's a load of crap as well, because Games Master wasn't actually there. So does that mean that this was potentially written? Because what was the date of publication on this? Well, it must be in season three, because the front cover has a picture of Dexter Fletcher on it. But it must have been written before Dominic Diamond parted ways, because given the reasons he left Games Master, there is no way that he would have written this copy while also estranged. So there is a chance that at least some of this was written whilst he was still with Hewland and still associated with the show. Were there plans for Patrick Moore to come down to the NEC? Mm. There might have been at some point, because as we ourselves have done, sometimes you have to write or record stuff before the event and make guesstimates as to what will actually happen. So perhaps that's the... uh Perhaps that's yeah. what happened. Uh, and he continues, Anyway, even if old Grumpy Guts wasn't exactly in a party mood, he still summoned up enough enthusiasm to preside over challenge after challenge featuring punter after punter, and what a strange group of gamers you were. The Games Master was certainly surprised at the huge difference in expertise demonstrated on stage by our guests. Some of you knew your way around the leading games forwards, backwards, sideways, and oops upside your head, but others, it has to be said, thought a sprite was a lemon and lime drink, and a ram expansion was something that only a female sheep should get excited about. He's having fun writing this. It doesn't matter when he wrote it, he's having fun with it. Still, everyone was given a fair crack of the whip, and I feel surprisingly confident in saying that at the end of the day, like characters on the last page of an Eden Blyton book, we were all a bit tired, but happy. It's a fun little write-up, and I'll be honest, it's fairly accurate, because as we discover, not all of the people that answered the call were particularly good, or indeed knew how to play the games at all. And this, I think, is also why, with Games Master, the TV show, everything is carefully produced, and even the volunteers randomly picked from the audience are generally not randomly picked from the audience. With a live show, you can kind of get away with having a few duffers and maybe going, okay, that one was terrible. Let's get someone else up here. With a TV show, you can't because you've got 22 minutes to sell the product and make it seem exciting. Yeah. And to actually give you a bit of a tease for the interviews we've got at the end of the episode, someone did actually talk to Patrick Moore about Games Master Live. Um, so that'll be coming up later in the show. I also thought it was interesting from this that all of the pictures from the event that are in this book are not pictures taken at the event they're screenshots from the feature that's in episode 11 about games master live this strikes me as peculiar because i can't believe that hewland didn't have a photographer yeah i mean like there's virtually no footage of it whatsoever there's the short feature we get in episode 11 and there's the quavers uh promotional video that we'll get to later in this show but there isn't a whole lot of footage or pictures from the event outside of the magazines that we've currently got now as we will hear later in the interviews and as i can personally attest there were cameras there not just filming on stage but filming around the venue so for whatever reason they decided not to use that footage. But there is still a chance that somewhere in a cardboard box somewhere, there's some manky old beta cam tapes that have this footage on. It does make you wonder, 
how much of the roars and the rushes and the shooting footage still exists somewhere for Games Master. Never to be seen. Yeah, it's in the Hewland archive somewhere, along with Big Boy Barry's balls up on Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, I've got I've got my various eBay alerts set for Games Master, so if a box of unmarked tapes from Hewland oh. ever show up on eBay, you can bet your ass I'm going to be bidding for those big time. <laughs> that's, that's where the Patreon money will go. <laughs> That's patreon.com forward slash under console pod. But I think that's actually a great use for it because can you imagine if we could uncover those rushes, if we could uncover raw footage of something? It's never going to happen. But can you imagine, Luke? Um, well, I mean, I can only imagine going to this event because, as I said at the top of the episode, I didn't go. Uh, but you did, my friend. Sorry, I'm just marvelling at how smooth <laughs> that was. Jesus, you could tell you do this for a living. <laughs> No, indeed, I did go to this event, finally living in the West Midlands, paid off for something. <laughs> and there was a reason to go to Birmingham other than the Black Country Museum and the Cadbury's factory. Amazingly, given the age I was, I went to this show virtually unaccompanied. Because to spell out what my life was like at that time, my parents were self-employed and ran their own business. And all the wholesalers that they went to were based in Birmingham. Now, because of the way trading laws worked and the fact they were a small business, the only time they could go to a lot of these wholesalers was on a Sunday. And while I was growing up, a lot of the time, I would just have to go with them if I couldn't stay with my nan. So at that point, the younger me would sit in the van or sit in the car with my collection of Doctor Who Target books, or as time went on, the Game Boy and a collection of books on tapes. And that would be my Sunday. Looking back on it, a little bit tragic. <laughs> Kind of explains why I had difficulty with social groups growing up. <laughs> but as I got a bit older, and indeed at this point, because all those wholesalers were in Birmingham, when I said, hey, can I go to Games Master Live? They looked at the map, they looked at where they were going, they looked at where the NEC was, and they were like, okay, here's a packed lunch, here's your ticket, here's your spending money. I actually got, I think, a slight advance on Christmas money from one of my aunts and uncles, so I had a little bit because mm. I hadn't started a part-time job at that point. I was on the cusp of it. Yeah. But that's a separate story. And I was dropped off at the gates and in I went. A 12, 13-year-old me, unaccompanied in the Birmingham NEC <laughs> with 25,000 nerds, geeks and video gamers and their associated parents if required for a good four or five hours. Would that happen now? No. <laughs> no. Because I didn't even have a cell phone. No. Well, it was 1992. Exactly. <laughs> that fact blows my mind more than anything I saw that day, because it was a positive and a negative experience. It was a positive because the place was packed and there were games and there were arcade machines and there were characters walking around. And there was the stage. I only ever saw it from a distance because there was no way I was getting closer. It was too packed. But I remember the vibe and I remember the excitement. I remember, I don't think I ever ate my packed lunch. There wasn't time. There wasn't room. I did play on some games. I don't think I got to play on any of the big games, but I did go to some of the also-rans. I think I played Pit Fighter on an arcade machine. Yeah? Oh, the proper like, digitised version. Yeah, that's it really. Um, <laughs> no, I did play, I think I played Pit Fighter because I remember, for mysterious reasons, Pit Fighter did not have much of a queue. I suspect the reason for that being it was Pit Fighter. Yes. The the console areas, for the most part, were absolutely swamped. They were, I think, in my mind, more popular than the arcade areas because people were playing games that they would actually get to take home. 
or they could go and buy, particularly because there was not only a dealer's area, but Comet had their kind of official Games Master area, something that's covered in the brochure, is they had very tight connections with Games Master at this point. And I remember going around and I remember seeing some of the challenges from a distance. Could I tell you what ones? No, because I was far enough back and the acoustics in the NEC are bad enough that I couldn't really hear what was going on. Mm. That was a bit sad because you go to Games Master Live and you would want to see Games Master. But realistically, it was only part of why they were there. And arguably, it was not where they were making the most money. They were making the money off of the traders, the tie-ins and the promotional bump going on where you had uh, Ocean and we had the Quavers and Pushover. You had movie tie-ins. We had Cool World there. And you had all these mascots going around. We had Zool there, as we will hear about later. And I remember it being fun. I remember it being scary. And I remember being absolutely floored by the dealer's area. Because you had the magazine stands, you had the various promotional bits and pieces and the publishers. But then you had these guys that had almost like market stalls set up. And that was where the games were. And they weren't just your standard games you'd see on your shelf in Comet or WH Smith's or in the basement of Boots. I don't know why, but video games always seem to be in the basements of a Boots. <laughs> These were imports. These were Japanese games. These were American games. There were things there called the PC Engine. There was the Neo Geo. There were consoles and concepts and accessories that I had never seen and that were way beyond the budget of Teenage Me. But I did have my money. And I did want to get something. As you would do. Absolutely, you want to buy something. You want to buy yourself a little souvenir from the show. I had my programme. I think I may have got a few magazines as well and a few other bits and pieces. But I wanted to get something that I could take back and play and go, this is something I couldn't have got anywhere else. And at this point, I had an Amstrad and I had a Game Boy. The Super Nintendo was in my very near future, but I didn't know that yet. Mm. So I was looking through all the Game Boy games. And I saw what appeared to be Japanese Simpsons game. Wow. Okay. Now, in my head, I want to say it was meant to be Bart versus the Space Mutants. Which would make sense because that was the sort of the big one at the time. And I looked at it and I kind of went away and I came back and I went away and I came back. And eventually I picked it up, I handed over the money and I paid for it. Now, this is where I made a big mistake because I had my Game Boy on me. Because, of course, part of my child brain, part of my team brain, thought, I'll take my Game Boy because there'll be other gamers there. Maybe we can all sit and play versus games. No, never happened. Wish it had. Nowadays, it would. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you'd have congregations of Switch or 3DS players. Even in the late 90s, there'd have been like Pokemon areas set up so you could do like sharing via link cables and stuff like that. Exactly. What I should have done is I should have popped that game in right there and then and tested it. But I didn't. And I went through the rest of the day, I I walked around, I looked nervously at various people. I must have talked to some of the magazine people, because I would have, because I know I was at that point becoming an avid devourer of gaming magazines. But it wasn't until I left the NEC at the previously agreed time and went to meet my parents and get in the van to drive back home that I took the game out, put it into the Game Boy, switched it on, and up came the title screen, Bart Simpson Escape from Camp Deadly. Heartbreaking. Yeah, because it's not that I didn't even get the game that I wanted. It's the fact that I got a shit game. (laughs) No one looks at Escape from Camp Deadly and goes, well, that's a classic. Yeah, that's one of the good Simpsons games from the era. 
because really only people say that about one of those Simpsons games, and that's the arcade one. Yeah, none of them are good. I mean, even if I got Bart versus the Space Mutants, it wouldn't have still been a good. It wouldn't <laughs> have been a good game, but it would have at least been what I wanted. Yeah. To buy, I don't think I ever revealed to my parents that I got ripped off. I was hmm. too ashamed. Oh. Because they trusted me to go to this thing, and they yeah. trusted me with my Christmas money. What it did mean is I spite played that game. <laughs> I never completed it, but I did spite play it because I was determined to get some value out of it. I've not done that with many games. The only other one that comes to mind is Duke Nukem Forever, (laughs) which I completed out of hatred on the Xbox 360. It did sting me a bit because after that point, both for the Game Boy and the Super Nintendo, some local video game shops in Cheltenham and Gloucester and other areas that I went to more easily started to sell import games. And I felt a little bit burnt for a while. All that changed with a little shop in Gloucester who had, in the Japanese box, a copy of the Ninja Turtles game for the Game Boy. And it was heavily discounted because it wasn't exactly, as as Jazz Rignall has said, you know, Ninja Turtles are past it. But I got it. And that was brilliant. I loved that because there was nothing to be lost by playing a Japanese import of that game. And if anything, it did get me a little bit of cool cred in the playground because I had a game in Japanese. That is quite cool though, isn't it? It is. That restored my faith in import gaming a bit. And then with the Super Nintendo, it's something I got into a lot more. My lasting impression of the event is one of chaos. And I wish I could remember more. In fact, that's why I'm very glad that we've spoken to people who do remember more. What I can say is it did begin a bit of a teenage love affair with the Birmingham NEC. Because a year or so later, the memorabilia shows would start running once or twice a year. And again, I would get to go up with my parents... I'd save up my money, and on a Sunday, I would go to these memorabilia shows. You would occasionally get video games there, but it was as much about comics and music and film and models and toys and actors. And I used to go to those. I used to save up for six months, and I was working a part-time job at that point, and it allowed me to buy books and comics and magazines and CDs and, and meet people and get autographs. And I think without those, I would be less geeky than I am today, and I am very comfortable with that. But all of that, if nothing else, is thanks to Games Master Live, because Games Master Live did show to my parents' understanding, that I could be trusted to go to the Birmingham NEC by myself. They wouldn't let me go and see Pink Floyd in 1994, (laughs) which is still a note of bitterness, but they would let me go to collector shows. Well, we did ask for you to get in touch with your stories. Uh, Emma got in touch on Twitter to say that I went with my family when I was age nine. My main memory was seeing Dominic Diamond on stage and a kid playing Sonic 2. Seeing Sonic and Tails run away from you in the special stage blew my tiny mind. Also remember watching inflatable sumo wrestling, LOL. There was an element of this show that was distinctly carny, and by that I mean carnival, because you had a helter-skelter, you had a mini roller coaster, you had the sumo wrestling. I reckon there was probably a bucking bronco there as well. (laughs) But you know what? That's what you want. The NEC is big enough that you could have had a bloody ghost house in there. You could have had a lot of your fairground staples. And I would argue that if you were putting together a gaming event that was not going to be a dealer's hall, which, let's be honest, most of them now are. Darren also got in touch on Twitter to say, I remember the night before Games Master Live having a sleepover at my parents' house where me and my three mates spent all evening playing Super Mario and F-Zero on my Super Nintendo. The following day, we boarded a train to the NEC with my dad and headed to the event. On entering the NEC, we were each handed a Games Master Live goodie bag which contained issue one of the new Games Master magazine, which would later be released in the shops. 
Memories of the events have faded over the years, but I do remember the large Helter Skelter slide which sat in the center of one of the rooms. I also remember being very excited to finally play the SNES version of Street Fighter 2 which they had playing on various demo units. Another highlight was getting a large Street Fighter 2 poster signed by the NMS and CVG staff who were manning a booth at the show. This would stay on my bedroom wall for many years after. Using some of my Christmas money which I had brought along with me, I'd purchased another world for the SNES. During the day there was a live show where Dominic Diamond and the Games Master would challenge audience members to play different games for prizes, including a Street Fighter 2 competition. Unfortunately, I didn't have the balls to compete, but was happy to watch from afar. I mean, depending on your age, you probably did have the balls to compete. You just weren't fully aware of them yet. <laughs> it's nice as well, because of the people that we've spoken to, no one said they really got a chance to play the Street Fighter 2 demo units that they had, even though they had loads of them, because like, as we've mentioned on this uh, episode already, the queues were huge at the at the event. As going by my recollection, I remember playing Pit Fighter now, and I'm sure I played some other arcade games, but you know what? They would have been the second or third tier ones. Maybe a couple of SNK cabinets... Who knows what, but Street Fighter 2, would I have got near the demo units of that? No, I was way too shy at the time. I mean, Street Fighter 2 was such a big thing at the time. I mean, we're going to look at the guide for the event now. Uh, you've got an actual physical copy of the guide there that you've got, and uh, I've got one that was supplied to us uh, digitally via Dan uh, on Twitter. Uh, and Street Fighter 2 has a huge presence in that as well. Like, the first advert that you see is all about how Street Fighter is only available on the Super Nintendo, and Sega owners can dream on. Yeah, it's a very confrontational advert, really, isn't it? <laughs> so it's, it comes as no surprise to me that the Street Fighter 2 area was so busy so flipping open to page six we've kind of got the big splash page we've got what's going to be there what the big attractions are going to be and they're talking about the big simulators and the big events which we've not really spoken to anyone that took part in because we've got a nigel mansell experience simulator which is going to be on the gremlin stand mm -hmm. and apparently rumor has it that the new world champion himself will make an appearance huh. do we know if he did i was gonna say i don't know if we do actually there was apparently a tropicana stunt team doing bmx stuff i can't remember seeing that at all I'm wondering if it made it past health and safety. We do see footage of that in uh, the feature that they do in uh, episode 11. There is also the chance that some of the stuff here was not there by Sunday, because mm. that's the only disadvantage you get, is when you go on the Sunday, you will miss out on some stuff. I can hold up my hand. I never got a bag with Games Master Magazine in. Oh, really? I bought my first issue. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I missed out on that. Uh, the Quasar Challenge, which I didn't go near because queues, but... I was able to go to Quasar Laser in Gloucester more regularly, so that wasn't such a miss out. Man, I miss Quasar. I was going to say, I loved Quasar, because we had a Quasar in Reading, and we also had... What was the other version of Quasar? Laser Quest. Laser Quest, that's the one, yeah. We actually had, we had a Laser Quest, and then I think it was replaced by a Quasar later in life. Or we had both of them in Reading. I can't quite remember. I just remember going to birthday parties at both uh, during the 90s. Cheltenham had Laser Quest. If anyone from Cheltenham is listening and wants to say I'm wrong, you're welcome to. But there was definitely a laser-based game in Cheltenham. Gloucester had Quasar. The Quasar in Gloucester was a better experience as a laser game, but had less arcade machines. The Laser Quest in Cheltenham, that had way better arcade machines. That had Mortal Kombat. That had NBA Jam. That had Virtua Fighter. Oh, I remember more about the arcade machines there than I do about the actual game itself. Because also I remember the guns at Laser Quest felt a lot lighter and cheaper and more like a Spectrum Zapper. Whereas the Laser Quest guns, they're two-handed beasties. 
Yeah, they were chunky. Maybe down the line, I'll see if I can get Mensky back on the blow and he can help me revisit what we were doing arcade-wise in Cheltenham in the 90s because he'll probably remember more than I will. And I'm really curious to see what I actually had access to as a teenager. We also see the aforementioned Helter Skelter, which is sponsored by Ocean. And apparently, if you watched the video all carefully, there was the chance of winning an amazing prize. Hmm. Also, the note to check out all the latest games on Sega, Nintendo, and even Commodore's all-new Amiga 1200. Wow. Yeah, that was a, that was coming out for Christmas. Bit of a bitter pill, the Amiga 1200, because while it was a much more powerful machine, there was only partial compatibility with software from the Amiga 500 and 600, which was not a great thing at that point. I love the picture here of the electronic art stand with Road Rash 2 on it, because it's one of those big video wall things that I, was just, I loved the look of in the 90s, where you've just got multiple TV monitors stacked up, and you've got a motorbike there that looks like it's meant to be a, you're sort of, you're on a motorbike controlling Road Rash 2. That must have been rad. Yeah, I'm wondering where this picture was taken because first of all, I thought, oh, maybe it's CES. But then I've noticed that there is a sign in the background that says Britain's finest something magazine so it must have been taken at one of those pc based gaming shows where consoles were just beginning to edge in and on the other page we've got an advert for prince of persia which was reviewed in episode eight or nine maybe even ten i think i mentioned this advert before because it's an amazing advert which has no screenshots of the game whatsoever just a bunch of quotes saying how great the game is (laughs) hey but if you are one of those parents that have taken your kids to this event and you're bored of all the street fighter stuff calling all parents Parents, head on over to the acorn stand, uh, which they've called the parents' crash. <laughs> it's very cute. Acorns I don't remember ever seeing outside of a school. No, I mean, it says here that um, acorn computers, which are now found in nine out of every 10 schools in the UK. I don't think I ever saw one outside of a school, to be honest, because I think our school definitely had a BBC Micro um, towards the end of my primary school years. I think in year six, we got a BBC Micro. And I think after that, then I only ever saw acorn computers. See, I remember BBC Micros, anyone could get at the BBC Micros that were the schools I went to. The acorns, though, they were usually kind of kept under lock and key. They were fancy. Skipping over a couple of pages, we've got uh, a word from our sponsor, Stand A31. This is uh, EMAP Images, where all the magazine guys were. Yeah, we've got some familiar and not so familiar titles. We've got Nintendo Magazine System. We've got Me Machine Sega, which we've already spoken about. CVGs in there. And then the slightly more, I guess, uh, computer-based PC review. And the at that point, I guess, on its last legs, Sinclair user. No offence to Spectrum users, but the magazines were beginning to dial down. And I say that as an Amstrad owner who was seeing his preferred magazine in its death throes. But impressively, though, on that Sinclair user cover that they've got, they've got Street Fighter 2 on there. Also a bizarre byline at the bottom of that magazine cover that says Zeppelins can't jump, <laughs> which I just want to imagine is a like two-on-two basketball game with the members of Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I also love the cover for Megatech with World of Illusion on there. And the reason I love this is because it's got a free tip book on it. Oh, man, did I love getting a tip book from a magazine. I always loved it when a magazine could give me a hot tip. (laughs) Diamondism. Diamondism. (laughs) Over on the next page, off the wall, it's got the characteristics that we've had featured in Series 2 of Games Master. They've got the Bart Simpson and Batman one there. Oh, and the Alien one as well. There's then a bit of a feature for Drive with Nige, which is again playing up the fact that Gremlin will have their Nigel Mansell's World Championship game at the show, and they've got it as part of a 14-seater hydraulic simulator. Ooh. Yeah, I know, that sounds pretty damn fancy. But 
They also say there are plenty of other attractions around if you find that a little bit too scary, and they've got a big picture of Zool. Now, Zool was definitely there. Uh, and we know that for a fact, because uh, <laughs> we'll find out about that later on in this show. Yeah, it says it's all a bit too scary. There are other attractions to tempt you along to Gremlins display. For example, who could resist the temptation of meeting Zool, the ninja from the nth dimension, uh, throughout all three days, handing out chupa chup lollipops to all and sundry. He might even sign a few autographs if you ask him nicely. Opposite that, we've got an advert for Dixon's, which includes the Dixon's number one, I don't know, Judge Dredd superhero, (laughs) possibly copied from Speedball 2. Who knows what's going on there? But no, they're advertising that they indeed sell video games. They've got a bunch of badly cut out illustrations from different games and a voucher for a free Simpsons or Smash TV LCD game. But you have to spend £32 on another game to get it. That's in much smaller type. Yeah, it is indeed. So, I mean, here's a question for you. As someone who did get a knockoff Simpsons game at this event, would you have rather had the knockoff Bart Simpson Escape from Camp Deadly or the Bart versus the Space Mutants LCD game? Uh, the Bart versus the Space Mutants LCD game because I could have probably at least sold it for a bit of money. <laughs> Whereas bootleg games couldn't really. I'm fairly That's certain. True, yeah. I'm fairly certain that that Simpsons bootleg game just ended up in the rubbish in the end. <laughs> Because even when I sold off my Game Boy for the first time, the shop wouldn't take it. But now we start to get into some Street Fighter 2 stuff because it's all this and Street Fighter 2 to advertise the Nintendo stand and some descriptions of the characters that you can play on Street Fighter, like Ken. And then if you flick to the next page, you've got Zangief, Honda, Guile and Dal Sim. Which, if I remember correctly here, we're seeing the American illustrations for this because this is when America would take the Japanese illustrations and try and make them look more realistic which results in Ken just looking really bored. Well yeah I mean if, to jump back slightly on the first page of this um, the picture of Chun-Li in there in the content zone is very very bad. Again she just looks really bored she looks like a cosplayer that's just had enough. <laughs> then at stand 97 enter the shadow courtesy of Merlin Publishing. <laughs> phrasing (laughs) and there's also a bit down here for steve jackson's battle cards and on the other side of this page cover your ears it's the new mario blast onto the street super mario brothers bike blaster amazing never owned one always wanted one yeah this sounds fantastic uh listen out for mario on stand six get your hands on the hottest bike accessory around mario's eight electro blasting noises and flashing lights that will make you the envy of all your friends plus you can win a mountain bike turning over we've got more competition time this time with ocean where you can win every ocean game and all the hardware to play it on and they've got a picture of the competition prize and man alive that's an amazing prize pool there there's an amiga 1200 hopefully they've only included 1200 compatible versions of the game there's a super (laughs) nintendo in there there's a game boy there's what looks to be an actual pc in there oh wow yeah this may be the biggest value prize that i've seen here yeah there's the adams family is there uh what robocop is there bart versus the space mutants hook narc God, this is huge. McDonald Land. Yeah, 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 which we had an advert for earlier in this magazine. Wow. And Nez is there as well. I just spotted that. Oh, yeah. Ghostbusters 2, I can see. This would be great because you could keep the consoles that were of interest, sell everything else that's not of interest, and you'd still end up ahead. Now, here's your chance to win all of these and a whole lot more as Ocean is offering every game in its catalogue, along with all the hardware necessary to play them, to one lucky competition on each and every day of the show. So there was three of these bundles to give away. While you're sliding down one of Ocean's two helter-skelters, you may like to cast a glance at what's happening 
happening on Europe's largest video wall? Then all you have to do is answer the following five easy questions and you could be in a chance of winning this amazing prize. Name two of the police badges shown in the video. Which two teams are playing in the soccer game? Which color car turns into a pit stop in exhaust heat? How many soldiers chase Prince Valiant down the stairs? And name five of the titles shown where new release appears on the screen. That's quite a lot of information you've got to gather there while sliding down a helter-skelter. Yeah, but you know what? For a prize pack like that, it's understandable. And there's more competitions as well because you can challenge Colin Curley on Pushover to win an Amiga 600. Which again shows a slightly weird divergence of where Amiga were because they were really, really trying to push the Amiga 1200, but they were also trying to make the Amiga 600 still sound like a good competition prize. And we'll talk a bit more about that Amiga 600 challenge with Colin Curley a bit later on in this podcast. Uh, Right, then we get all of our exhibitors. Crikey, there was loads of them. I really, really wish I could have gone to this event. Really do. I do as well, because then someone else might have got ripped off. (laughs) There aren't just games makers here as you go through. We're not going to go through all of them because there are loads. But like Oxfam had a presence. Panini had a presence, as we've mentioned. Uh, There was... Mail Order Express. It's a fascinating list of vendors to look at because it really gives a picture of how diverse the dealers were trying to be. And yet, for the most part, I bet you no one could tell you anything about Oxfam's presence. There's also lip syncing karaoke there. And just below that one, Manga Video had a presence there. Now, that Manga Video stand would have been pretty busy in 1992, but I guarantee you in 1993, 1994, it would have been way busier. Absolutely. Uh, We were just at the cusp of Manga Mania taking off and Japanese animation and comics really becoming a heavy presence as part of pop culture in the UK. Over the page, we've got adverts for Kickoff and Populous and also a larger illustration of board costumes playing Chun-Li. <laughs> yeah, the Comet World Championships fight for the rights. Do you want to take part in the Great Comet Challenge? Yeah, the final team will be made up of the top six scorers over the course of the show who will not only get the chance to compete against the best, but each one will pick up a fabulous Super Nintendo console and earn the right to appear on the Games Master TV program. Oh, wow, so it was even bigger than that. Yeah, I'm, I wonder if anyone out there was part of this or knows anyone that was part of this and got to appear on Games Master after being part of this competition, please let us know because that's a very different avenue onto the show than any that we've known previously. There is a full page advert for Atmosphere, which I thought was quite cool. Mm, yeah. I do own that original copy of Atmosphere and once it's, <sighs> once it's possible for us to do so, let's do an Atmosphere playthrough, Luke. Oh, yes, please, mate. I, I never got to play Atmosphere, but I always saw the adverts for it and it always looked amazing. We have a list of top games from Dominic Diamond called Diamond Sparklers, which I think <laughs> is a, quite a nice little term to use. There's all the usuals in there. There's Street Fighter, Wing Commander, Desert Strike, Chaos Engine, Legend of Valor, and Gunship 2000, which hasn't been out that long at that point. Over on Nintendo, there's Mario Kart, King Arthur's World, and Spider-Man and the Uncanny X-Men. Uh, and there's also, after a page of adverts, um, Super Mario World 2, Star Wars, Kirby's Dream. It just says Kirby's Dream, but that's Kirby's Dream Land for the Game Boy. Yeah, it is, definitely. The illustration, the illustration actually looks really nice. Taking screenshots of Game Boy games was not always easy. No, not at all. On Sega, of course, Sonic 2 leads the way. Echo the Dolphin, Road Rash 2, Mickey and Donald, World of Illusion, Streets of Rage 2, Lotus Turbo Challenge, and Lemmings. After that, there's loads of adverts and loads of more competitions. There's a competition to win Sonic 2, some stuff for the magazines, like for like Nintendo Magazine System, more adverts, more A to Z, uh, and basically the A to Z of everything that you need to know. And on the back cover, we've got an advert for WWF's European Rampage Tour with Ocean. 
Uh, but one of the other challenges that was featured in towards the back of that magazine was the Quavers Challenge on Pushover. And as we've kind of alluded to in this episode already, the only real bit of footage outside of Games Master that is available online is a Quavers promotional video that is hosted by Johnny Vaughan. The most striking thing when you enter the Games Master show is the fact that Quavers have their stand right here in front of the turnstile. Everyone that passes through... This is the first thing they see. And on this stand, they've been running competitions, two competitions every day, to win an Amiga 600 game system. The contest? To see how many levels you can do on Colin Curley's very own pushover game in two minutes. The record so far is eight. I'm glad this video exists because, as we'd already said, the lack of footage and photo and documentary of this event is quite stunning. You can't imagine it being this low-key nowadays. No, absolutely not. Johnny Vaughan opens this, telling us that the Quaver stand is the most prominent thing as you walk into Games Master Live. It's the first thing you see, and they're holding a competition on Colin Curley's pushover game on the Amiga, with the winner getting an Amiga 600. The record so far is eight levels. So... I'd never played Pushover prior to this week. And after watching this video and sort of in preparation for this, I gave it a little try. Well, I mean, I say I didn't play the Amiga version, though. I played the Super Nintendo version on emulation. And let me tell you this, I got bloody hooked on it. That game's very, very fucking addictive. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't got as far as um, testing it out. I do have the ROM ready. It's loaded on my SNES Classic. I'll take up the challenge here, because if it's that addictive <laughs> to you, I'm fairly certain it will be that addictive to me, and it will certainly be a better thing to revisit or to look at than Escape from Camp Dead. Morning, ladies and gentlemen. If you just joined us, this is Colin Curley's Quaver Challenge. The aim of the game here is to get as many levels done in two minutes as you possibly can. If you can get seven or above, you could have a chance to win, and a bigger 600 go on stage and battle it out for the big prize. If not, you win a packet of Quavers, and a badge. Uh, I love Johnny Ford in here saying that uh, if you don't win, you'll get a packet of Quavers and a badge. Everyone loves a badge, mate. <laughs> Everyone loves a pack of Quavers, to be honest. Or, well, I mean, we'll find out from some kids later on how good they taste. I mean, they taste curly for, for starters. <laughs> so, Joe, you've been the morning's champion on yeah. the uh, on the pushover. How do you feel about chances on stage against Colin Curley? Nervous. <laughs> Quite nervous. Yeah, because um, I've been practicing for a bit. So, um, you know. <laughs> Do you think you'll be able to turn it on again in front of a big crowd? Yeah, no problem. Or do you think the nerves might affect your, your, your well, joystick? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, well, listen, good luck from all of us anyway. Yeah, thanks. And uh, just do the business. A good, a good move is on about level six when you first see the splitter. Yeah. Rather than going down the stairs with it, leap off the end with it yeah, and you okay. get exactly into the gap. Just save yourself five seconds. Thanks. Top tips. Okay. All right? Yeah. Take care. Thanks. Um, we get to see the morning champion. I believe it was Tajil was his name. I couldn't quite make it out because this was a quite shonkily recorded video. Shonk, shonky is correct. Shonky is correct. And again, slightly shocking. Because there's a point where he's interviewing uh, Jill and sort of giving him some tips because this kid is super nervous. Johnny Vaughan gives him a tip on level six. Don't go down the stairs, leap off the end because it'll put you in the right place. A top tip that I actually followed when I was playing the game when I was testing this out. And during this interview, the announcer suddenly goes, please go to stand six to see. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Colin Curley Pushover Challenge. And here's your host for today, from Ocean, Alan Andrews. Hello, everyone. How are you all? Are you enjoying the show? 
Yeah? Okay, we've got something really special lined up for you here. We have got our pushover Colin Curley Quaver Challenge. So let's bring on our contestants. There's Colin Curley. There's Sajil. Let's have a big round of applause for them. The uh, the Quavers advert that they show on the big screens brought back so many. I'd completely forgotten about Colin Curley and this era of Quavers where they were releasing loads of different flavors. And man, this brought back a heck of a lot of nostalgic memories for me. I remember bacon Quavers, the smoky bacon. And the prawn cocktail ones were the ones I remember. I don't remember the prawn cocktail, but I remember the smoky bacon because also bacon flavours at that point were always smoky bacon. Yes. It was never just bacon. It was always smoky bacon, probably because liquid smoke is a much easier flavour to apply. Alan Andrews from Ocean is the presenter for this challenge. Zajil is literally playing a guy dressed up as Colin Curley, not to be confused with Danny Curley, and they've got two minutes and 30 seconds to get as far as possible as they can. We've had a look at the Quaver stand now. We've had a look at the game pushover. We've had a look backstage to see what happens when a challenger goes on to face Colin Curley in the big final playoff. I think it's about time we spoke to a few children, see what they think about Quavers. Let's have a little look round. Um, of course, as soon as you say that, there's a dead Excuse me, what do you think about Quavers? Quavers, the quavers. noise, the noise. You, you like them? Yeah. Yeah, do you like Quavers? They taste curly. Well, the, the different shapes and lots of flavour in them. But this is my favourite part of this, because this is where Johnny Vaughan is saying that we've seen the Quavers stand, we've seen the challenge, now let's ask the kids what they think of Quavers. And you can tell how well the branding for Quavers was working at the moment, because when he's interviewing these kids, one kid says they taste nice, and another kid says they taste curly. The catchphrase got over, mate. And I bet you just out of shot, there was like a big multi-pack of Quavers going, you get this right, <laughs> get this bag to yourself. And this is also very good because this is definitely a promotional video for Quavers. Like, you know, this was shown in a board meeting or something to show how successful this cross promotion with Games Master was because Johnny Vaughan speaks to a kid who'd only played Pushover as a demo from a magazine, but after playing it at this event, he's now bought the game in full. Amazing. Because <laughs> there's no way this would have aired on TV because it is way too paid promotion. There was no internet. So yeah, this would have been board meeting, marketing. Uh, this would have been on various kind of product promotion tapes that would be sent to supermarkets and, you know, however it was used for internal marketing. It's great that it exists, but really not sure who the target audience was. Because it also seems a bit too lowbrow for the board. Yeah. Like, would they really buy this? I mean... I guess they probably did, did have some positive effect on their brand recognition. We've had a great three days here at the Games Master Show. I must say, I myself came here a cynic, believing that computer games are silly for children who never go outside, never talk to anyone, just stay at home playing on their computers. But in fact, there seems to be a great social level. I've seen children of six talking to children of 16 on absolutely equal terms on one subject, which is obviously tremendous. Uh, we've had a great time here on the Quavers stand particularly. The pushover challenge was a great success with six Amiga 600 computers being competed for and won on the uh, the big stage so goodbye from all of us here hope you had a good time and johnny vaughan ends this saying that he came in as a cynic thinking children were sad for playing video games but it's been a brilliant three days and they gave away six amiga 600s firstly well done for giving away six amiga 600s secondly <laughs> you johnny vaughan <laughs> <laughs> now, Colin, 
we'd like you to tell us what flavors these new quavers are. Mm, I can flavor. Give me another. Good, good. Mm, prune cocktail flavor. I love it. Give me another. No, no. Oops. <laughs> quavers, watch out. They taste curly. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of Under Consultation. We really hope you're enjoying this special look back at Games Master 92 and Johnny Vaughn's badge in just a moment we're going to be hearing from you and your memories but first let me tell you that this episode was brought to you in part by our wonderful backers over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod who are currently listening to next week's episode with that first round of the street fighter 2 tournament and our backers at the 10 pound level will get a sweet merch pack that looks awesome that's patreon.com forward slash under console pod Right now, you can instantly win one of 200 Commodore Amigas with Scrubby Curly Quivers. Or push over a new computer game starring me and my pal, Giant. There are 10,000 to be won. Details on every packet. Watch out, computers have got Curly! We also got sent across this Nintendo Magazine System two-page article that they did on their time at Games Master Live, which we could probably presume was written by Jazz Rignor. There's a photo uh, featuring James Pond, Sonic, Tails, Mario, Zool, and Colin Curley, um, which will actually be brought up again during our interviews that we have later on. And it's basically just them just going minute by minute of what they did while they were at the events kind of what i did on my school holidays but for games master live <laughs> i do love the mascot picture because you know that would not exist nowadays there's too many brand egos involved 
of, well, you know, Sonic needs to stand in front of Mario. Oh, well, no, Mario can't be seen within six foot of Sonic. It, it, that kind of protection of brand identity, you would not allow competing mascots to be seen that close together. This is, there's a mistake here because it says, not, I mean, two, two mistakes really, because it says three times a day, Dominic Diamond, spelt incorrectly, graced the Games Master stand and invited members of the crowd to try their luck at a sorted game. No plural. Were they trying to apply the vinyl vinyls logic to game or <laughs> Lego Legos logic to game? <laughs> yeah. But given they also spelt Dominic's name wrong, I think they were just writing in a hurry or after having gone to the pub. So yeah, Street Fighter 2 and Pushover were just two of the games played with Dominic providing commentary, ably abetted by Tim and Jazz. The other challenges were taking place at the EA stand, the Nintendo stand, and over at the US Gold stand, who had a punch ball so that stressed out punters could try their luck. And they called it the best show ever. Although they must rank as the three most tiring days of our life, there's no doubting that Games Master Live was the computer game show of the year. I'd also like to take this opportunity to say hello to everyone who took the time to come and see us and have a chat, and to all the people who worked there at the stand. It was an excellent event with a brilliant atmosphere and and with another bigger and better show planned for next year, we're going to do the whole thing again. Watch this space for more news soon. And I... That was not me doing two ands by accident there. There are two ands in this copy. This is definitely a post-pub write-up. <laughs> this is after liquid lunch. But funnily enough, when this image got posted up onto Twitter, someone replied to this because there's a photo of the challenge area where there's sort of lots of people watching Dominic Diamond up on stage. However, one kid is not looking at the stage they are in fact looking behind them at the camera and this will lead us into our next section of this where we're going to talk to the people who were at the event including former guest on this show dave bulmer in a bit that was cut out from episode two that we've saved for this episode but also the chap in that photo that was looking back at the screen Hunter, uh, sadly I'm 40 years old now, um, which is rather depressing, and yeah, pretty much been into retro gaming since, I don't think I've kind of stopped really, I don't, I don't think it's retro gaming if you kind of look, never kind of look back to it, if you know what I mean, so yeah, it, it's not like a hobby that I've kind of just got into, it's something that's kind of stuck with me since I was like 10, 11 years old, I can remember as, as a kid um, sitting down to watch it, and I was kind of living in Birmingham, I grew up in Birmingham, hence the accent, unfortunately. And I definitely can remember it being on TV and it was just down the road at the NEC. So yeah, I remember kind of getting the train out there and kind of being mildly confused and a bit freaked out by it all. Because I can remember it being pretty packed, if I'm honest with you. I can definitely, like when you come to Birmingham um, and you get the train out there, it's, it's like a little bit of a walk between the uh, train station and the NEC. And I can definitely remember walking through the corridors and it being kind of pretty packed on the way down there. I can remember, like I said, I can remember walking in there and it was definitely like pretty packed. I can remember there were loads of things going on. And, and really weirdly, I can remember like loads of merchandise. Remember the film Cool World that kind of came out at the time? I can remember like loads of ocean advertising for that and kind of wandering around. Uh, and there was loads of things you can kind of get involved in. So there's loads of stands you can kind of go and play. There was loads of um, kind of stalls that you could kind of go and see. 
And then obviously I remember a lot of the um, kind of actual events that were taking place. They say who wants to play it and you all kind of put your hands up. And I can remember distinctly kind of locking eyes um, with Dominic Diamonds when he was on the stage kind of picking people out. And he looks at me and I can be terrible to admit it, but I can remember looking at him and kind of crapping myself and kind of slowly putting my hand down and kind of shaking my head saying, no, don't pick me, don't pick me. Um, so dare I say, at that one point, I kind of uh, missed my moment of fame. I can remember when people got up on stage it sounds really bad, but I remember them not being very very good at the games they were playing. I can distinctly remember kind of thinking, okay, that they weren't too great and I could do better. Hence probably why the second time around I put my hand up and then bottled it. Um, but yes, yeah, so I can distinctly kind of remember that. And then a few kind of weeks or months later, uh, there was like a write-up in one of the magazines at the time, kind of two, three-page spread, as it were. Um, and there was a, a photo of them kind of recording the crowd and kind of when the games were playing. And there's one kid, there's one kid that's looking back and there's one kid that's kind of like not facing the action. And for some reason, it's kind of, you know, the, the idiot that's looking backwards and that idiot was me. Um, somehow the guys at school found it. Um, I went to an all-boys school in Birmingham, so in the common room in the classroom there's always like like video games magazines probably some awful max power magazines going around and somebody found it and kind of called it out and it was me um, and i got a load of abuse for that you know why was all the divvy kid that was looking back um whilst all <laughs> stuff was kind of kicking off so yeah so thanks to that i got a load of abuse but then also kind of quite nicely um that picture turned up on twitter quite recently and it was like oh my god i remember the actual incident I can remember it kind of happening and it was kind of nice to actually see it. And it's like, yeah, I, I did look stupid, to be honest. <laughs> I can definitely remember it being a good day. I can de- very much remember, as well as kind of the promo areas, uh, again, where there's a lot of cool world stuff going on. There was a massive kind of trader stand where you could kind of go around and you kind of trade games. And I remember at the time, I mean, back in the day, thinking about it, I mean, I don't know if you guys can remember, but you know, you used to kind of get requested to like send off checks and send off postal orders, to, like random companies and stuff and kind of pray that you get something back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my parents, they were just like, yeah, you're not doing that at all. So it was my only opportunity to kind of go and find some, not illicit stuff, but stuff that you couldn't find in Dixon's or stuff that you couldn't find in, I don't know, Woolworths or wherever it was. So I can remember going around there and picking up a kind of Japanese converter or sorry, US or Jap converter for my SNES. Um, you know, the ones where it's kind of got a, um, it's a cart that goes kind of into your SNES and you've got one on the top, one on the back and hey, presto. Mm. And I can distinctly remember to this day, it was kind of like, it was awful quality. It was absolutely horrific quality. And I can remember the smell of it. It smelled like kind of like burnt plastic, but it wasn't burnt, if you know what I mean. I think the first game that I tried it out with was um, Another World on the SNES, because that was an awesome game, but I had like an American import version of that. So yeah, it, it was kind of one of the first places where you could kind of go and and see stuff that was imported and kind of see stuff that wasn't, you know, normal run-of-the-mill stuff. I distinctly remember playing Street Fighter 2 and getting my backside kicked because uh, I wasn't that great at it. To be honest with you, I, I'm kind of a bit impatient um, at times. So I can remember kind of walking around and just thinking, ah, sod that, I'm not going to kind of join the queues and go and buy something, where I spent hard-earned 20 quid on a converter that stunk. But I always kind of remember there's um, the standard typical kind of rows and rows of kind of like screens with kind of consoles that you can play on everything. But in terms of the exact games that I played, I'd love to be able to tell you, but but I can't. It was a nice day. Again, I think for myself, it was just nice to be around one other people that were into the same sort of kind of games as i was and then also to be able to you know kind of find the, the more obscure random stuff that you that you wouldn't find elsewhere do you remember the old kind of three and a half um inch floppy copiers that you can get mm. so 
Magic Come, uh, Super Magic Drive, all that sort of thing. I can vaguely remember seeing some of those. Um, and I think I might have actually seen a, a, like a PC Engine and a PC Engine CD um, at the time, which, you know, kind of spurred me to kind of find one in later life and, you know... Hi, uh, my name's Dan. I've been into video games since I was old enough to reach the the joystick, as the uh, you know on the arcade machines um, back in the very early 80s. I had my first computer when I was eight years old, Commodore 64, which I'm still very much uh, interested in as a platform. It's still very popular now. And in the 90s, um, I was massively into consoles. And when Games Master started, it was like you know hugely exciting, and uh, you know it was something that everybody watched everyone talked about and obviously the live show um was a was a was a big deal and i i guess i just had to be there so <laughs> i think it's when they announced it on the on the show itself on the on the on the actual channel 4 show i may have seen an ad for it in the magazines at the time and uh, you know as as you pointed out on the podcast they they were really pushing it on the show as as i'm 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 sure we might we might touch on later on um yeah i i been on the show itself as well the episodes that i was involved with hadn't actually gone out uh, at the time when uh, the live show happened so um you know they'd, they'd been filmed i'd kind of been through that experience but i was blissfully unaware at, at that point <laughs> how the shows actually turned out so i don't know i kind of approached the live show sort of slightly differently because i i I'd like effectively been involved in the actual show. I was kind of like, well, I've I've kind of got a duty to go to this. I can't really not be there. <laughs> you know? So even though I I knew nobody cared, nobody knew who I was. Even if they had, even if they'd seen me on the show, they wouldn't care who I was. <laughs> it wasn't like I was anybody. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just felt like I had a, a a duty to turn up. The kind of enduring memory of it, uh, unfortunately, was um, we we were actually about two hours late for it starting. <laughs> um because i've only been there for the one day i wanted to sort of make the most of it and unfortunately because we you know we didn't have a car um we ended up going on a on a coach uh, but the coach that we we used was it was with a company that kind of put their contact details in with the tickets so when the tickets arrived they had you know kind of like oh if you require transport you know this company is doing like a specific coach service from various parts of the uk and contact them and you can get transport to and from the event with with them, we thought, well, that sounds like a safe bet. You know, it's, it's like the event organisers are kind of backing them because we weren't sure exactly how we were going to get there. So we, we booked with them. And um, unfortunately, the, the the coach didn't turn up when it was supposed to. It turned up about two hours later <laughs> and then had another couple of pickups to do on the way. But unfortunately, because of that, when we arrived, the day was already sort of well underway. So any any sort of ideas I had about getting involved in the, the challenges or anything like that, just getting my name down, uh, were pretty much dashed from uh, from the go-ahead. The rest of the day was just, um, yeah, a bit, bit crazy, really. I, I just remember just there's been so many people there. Um, it, it was just packed. That, that was kind of like regret more than anything was sort of like going to an event like that and not getting to play a single game the whole day just because there were too many people. And I think because there was kind of a lot there and I was kind of moving around a lot, just wanting to see everything, I didn't really want to be standing around in queues. One of the biggest kind of draws for that event was kind of like, oh, there'll be loads of arcade machines and stuff there, like on free play. And I thought, great, you know, because I, I spend quite a lot of time in arcades when I was a kid. We, we weren't particularly well off. I was, I was very lucky in that, you know, I, I, got, I had like a, 
you know, I had a Mega Drive and a, and a decent collection of games, but that, that was pretty much all I spent my money on back then. Um, yeah, I was looking forward to sort of playing on Street Fighter 2 in the arcade for free, you know, so, and there were loads of machines running it, but there were like two or three people waiting for a go on them constantly. So I, I didn't, I, I just didn't want to be like stood, like just, just waiting around all day. I, I didn't want to miss anything. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed to be honest because I, I I had quite high expectations, but it it didn't it didn't matter really to to me that much. Um, I, I I think one of the one of the other problems was I I didn't have a lot of money at the time. I think I I, I took a bit of money with me, but only like twenty quid or something. It wasn't enough to sort of buy like a new like Mega Drive game or anything. I mean, I I never really saved a lot at that age. And if whenever I had anything like like thirty or forty quid, I'd be spending it on another game. So you know, I was, that was pretty much all I spent money on. And I think at that time I'd, I'd just bought Sonic Two, so um, I think I, I I bought that when it came out. So and that was like only like a couple of weeks before. So I was pretty much skint at that point. So yeah, I think I bought a joystick for my Commodore 64. It was a uh, from the PowerPlay um, stand. I remember that because um, it was one of the competition pros, but the mini version. That was the only thing I brought home from Games Master Live was this mini joystick. And, uh, they're not very popular nowadays. They're quite rare as well. But uh, I really liked it. I really loved that joystick. I st- I still use one today. In fact, um, it's not my original one. I managed to find another one a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, as I say, that was that's the only takeaway I had from the the day really. That and uh, the um, jazz rigging autograph, which was kind of yeah the highlight of the day more than anything. Uh, he was really friendly and just yeah, he, it made the day for me really um, chatting to him because uh, Emap had a stand there and it was towards the end of the day um, I I found it. I, I knew it was there, but I don't think I'd I I, I didn't know like who from the magazines was going to be around and you know it was around the point where everyone's just started to it was starting to die down you know things were kind of finishing and people were starting to leave yeah jazz was just kind of sat there was no one around him and i sort of made eye contact with him and you know he he sort of smiled at me because i wondered if if he'd recognize me because i'd I'd met him like a few months earlier in london um doing the show um i don't think he did recognize me but it didn't matter so he was he was just so approachable i can't remember exactly um what we talked about i think he was just sort of asking like Oh, sort of, what, what, what's your system? You know, are you a sort of Sega or a Nintendo person? I'm like, yeah, Sega. Oh, he's like, oh yeah, me too. Like this, you know. And I was like, oh, brilliant. And you know, we've got talking about um, Street Fighter Two, and it's like, it's it's coming. You don't need to buy a SNES yet, you know, kind of that sort of thing. When uh, when I asked if if he'd like sign something for me, he was like really happy to do it. And uh, I had this the magazine from the show. And on the inside of that was this two-page Nintendo ad for Street Fighter 2, the one that said, famously, Sega owners dream on, which was kind of like a bit of a source of ire for most of us at the time. He signed that for me and he actually wrote, not anymore, ha ha, <laughs> underneath that bit of text. Was uh, Yeah, that was highlight of the day for me, really, because I was feeling a bit deflated at that point, not having played any games, not being able to even talk to anybody who I'd, I'd seen previously, you know, and, Especially that was sort of the end of the day. I was like, all right, yeah, we can can go now. I'm all right. (laughs) I'm kind of happy now. So. I 
had a completely different perspective <laughs> on the whole thing because I wasn't aware of teenagers. I certainly wasn't aware of gamers or any of that. I was just on a nice day out with my mum and dad. You know, they were, we were just, it was just us. We were just there and I was, you know, hanging on to their coattails as usual. So I didn't buy anything. That wasn't in the, that wasn't part of the equation at all. I was just walking around looking at stuff. There was a very big inflatable Mario. So I looked at that. There was a Helter Skelter off in the, on the horizon. Do you remember how big that place was? It had a horizon. <laughs> I, I went back to that venue many times for memorabilia shows throughout the nineties. Uh, and oh. yeah, it's, a barn of a venue yeah no it was a it was just it was there was stuff everywhere and it was all imaginary to me because i didn't see half of the things that i know were there but i had you know the the guide magazine and the flyers and stuff somewhere in that hangar was a joystick in the shape of bart simpson but i didn't see it oh i think we get a review of that actually in, an, in a future episode oh i hope so because there's also a batman joystick that they review as well that's right and a terminator one and an alien one yeah. If I ever literally reach the point where I have more money than sense, collecting yeah. novelty joysticks <laughs> yeah. from the early to mid nineties is absolutely good. Because the best thing is you'll have a display cabinet full of them. And people will come in and see them, and their first thought will probably be, "Why does he have a dildo shaped like an alien?" And then <laughs> yeah. they'll look, "Oh, it's a joystick." Why did he have a joystick shaped like an alien? To which the answer would be, "That's a fair question." <laughs> I'm Rick Henderson. I'm best known for possibly standing next to Dominic Diamond behind a polystyrene podium uh, on Games Master. And before I actually was on screen, I also sort of worked for Hewland International, who made Games Master, and I mainly worked on Games World behind the scenes. Um, and I also was the Violet Blade on that show too. Strangely, considering what we're speaking about, my first screen appearance was during the Games Master Live Live episode with Dexter Fletcher on Series 3, but I actually joined Games Master, or at least Hewland International, during Season 2 of Games Master. I was actually, originally I was a researcher, but I worked my way up over the next several years up to Series Producer of um, Games World when it was on Sky 1. The way that it worked at the time is that pretty much everybody involved in the show behind the camera ended up on camera as well sometimes. I also went to the Anisher acting school back in the 80s, so I kind of had some experience of being in front of camera anyway. So while I was working on one show, I was just approached one day and said, do you fancy being on the other show? Funny enough, the first Games Master Live, I think it occurred very soon after I joined Hewland, there were a batch of brand new researchers that all joined for this new show that we were working on that hadn't actually been conceived yet called Games World. And uh, a few of us joined. I joined the very same day as Richard Osman. And one of the tasks, because I came from the games industry originally, because I, I was actually a, an editor of video games magazines from about 1989, so I was brought in, not having worked on television before, but actually brought in for the games knowledge more than the TV knowledge. And I learned the TV knowledge as I went. But the first thing I pretty much remember doing was going to Games Master Live in Birmingham, mainly as support. I really didn't have much of a role to do there because I wasn't actually working on Games Master itself. But I was there sort of like to, to lend support. And if someone needed someone to run from somewhere 
or, or to collect something, I was there on hand. As it happened, I pretty much needed to do nothing while I was there. <laughs> I just wandered around and watched and laughed a lot uh, and got to know Dominic a bit more. And it was kind of there that we started our friendship. This is a weird one because it's, uh, there's a lot of people with a lot of, a lot of fond memories, but I just remember it being quite empty, not because of people. Pe- there were plenty of people around, but I remember there not being an awful lot for people to actually do. There were sort of like some some booths with some gaming demos, etc. But it was nowhere at that time. I seem to remember that the only real big event for people to go to around then was PC World, which was a um, which was an annual gaming. Uh, and sort of PC convention, and that used to have loads and loads and loads of games for people to play in early early doors, because the NEC in Birmingham is massive, absolutely massive, and Games Master Live was in one of the biggest areas of it, because we ha- we had built this enormous mock set of Games Master. It needed it needed a big space, but because it was such a big space, it actually seemed more empty than it actually was because there were there were far fewer booths and there was space. So I, I do remember sort of wandering around and going, oh, well, there's not an awful lot to do. But the biggest memory I have is people queuing constantly. And this shows, this is a real sign of the times, queuing constantly to get autographs of journalists. That was my biggest memory of it because I know Jazz Rignall and I know all the Mean Machines people and all the old CMVG people. Uh, having been a journalist beforehand. So I knew everybody and I couldn't believe the cues that of people just waiting to get specifically Jazz's signature. He was a, he was absolute star on the days because he just he was literally just there just signing autographs it seemed. The rest of the team were I mean the rest of the, the rest of the CMVG team etc Zap uh, team and the other magazines that were there were also signing stuff but he was the one really putting it out. I would, uh, you know, it's a long time ago, so my memory isn't brilliant on it. But I would, I would argue that he was signing more autographs, autographs than Dominic Diamond was. Apart from one incident that happened in an Indian takeaway, I, my first ever t- night out with Dominic, I went to an Indian takeaway with him, a couple of others. I can't remember quite who else was there. All through it, these guys on another table kept going, Oi! Tell us a cheat for Mario and uh, and ask him for his autograph. And now Dominic traditionally doesn't like signing autographs. Um, the, the, you know, he, he's always been a little bit cagey about it, possibly because of this one incident. And uh, he was going, oh, no, I'm just out on a, a night out with my friends and just, uh, just eating poppadoms, et cetera. And they started throwing food at us. And I really remember it. To the, and I remember to the extent where we ended up having to run away from the restaurant. Now, I can't remember anything else about it, but I do remember that quite vividly, where we ended up going, right, we better leg it, because these guys were getting more and more angry just because Dominic wouldn't sign autographs and wouldn't, wouldn't tell them cheats for Mario. And the irony is, is that I very much doubt Dominic knew any cheats for Mario. So I, I knew a few people, so I just mainly hung around with them asking if they needed any help ended up not doing anything for the first games master life i did a lot more in the second games master life because they drafted me in to actually work on the live show and in fact it's my first ever games master appearance because you actually see me setting up the boxing machine for the for the uh, nigel ben barry mcguigan punch off on i think it was super punch out 
Um, and I had to uh, not only set, set the machines up, I had to actually hold the machine with my shoulder while they punched it because it was quite a high stage and there was no lip. So it would have just flown off the stage because it was on wheels as well. So you do see me in shot holding against my shoulder. And the uh, and the story about that is uh, Bar- not my Nigel Ben, but Barry McGuigan hit it so hard that uh, I ended up with a massive bruise across my shoulder. We actually spoke to Doug Johns. He said that his lasting memory of Games Master Live was effectively being robbed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a brilliant story, this one. My, my, one, my one memory of that is um, on the way back, we had to chuck all the gear in, all, like, all the T-shirts and merch in the back of a lorry and drive back from Birmingham to London. And the guy, one of the guys uh, who we work with, uh, another researcher, um, he was driving and we parked up to get some, to, to go and get a coffee. And he left it unlocked and it got nicked. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole like, band got nicked. Yeah, the whole lot with all the merch <laughs> on the show. And of course, all of our bags, so all my clothes and stuff oh, like that. No. Which, as a researcher on, you know, being paid tuppence halfpenny, I, I didn't have a lot of money, so that was a big oof to me. Um, but yeah, just it was just you know, who would have thought it's that? So some guy in Birmingham got more Games Master merch than he needed. But uh, <laughs> he probably thought he, he, he probably thought he came out really well until he actually saw what it was, and it was probably not worth a lot. But but there we go. The, uh, the van was stolen, and in it was all of the merchandise for Games Master, including T-shirts, caps, uh, some pamphlets. Um, I've actually got one of the caps and one of the T-shirts, which we were all given. He left the van outside. I can't remember if it was him or somebody else left. I think maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but, but I think the keys may have been left in it because they were running in just for something quickly. Uh, when they came out, the van was gone, completely gone. And all of Doug's clothes for the whole weekend were also in the van. And that had been stolen as well, because obviously it was it was there. Sometime later, a few days later, we were back in London. We were back in the Hewland International offices and we get a phone call. Now, Doug put in a, a an insurance claim on the stuff that was in his bag. So he was fine. He wasn't that bothered about his clothes. The van turned up. Uh, apparently, the police found it. And all of the Games Master merchandise was still in it. The only things missing were Doug's dirty clothes from his whole door. <laughs> they decided to just steal his bag and his clothes, but left all of the Games Master merchandise, which didn't say an awful lot about the show at the time. During my Games Master days, a lot happened. <laughs> Some we absolutely cannot talk about. A lot we can, and I'm sure we'll get to in later episodes. I'm Nick Clarkson. I'm uh, what's considered an industry veteran now. Uh, Having passed the ripe old age of 50, I've been in the industry since, uh, I think it was 1984. Um, I started working uh, on magazines. My first magazine, I think, was called ST World and then ST Action. That's how far we're going back. After working on magazines for a while, um, I moved up to the northwest and sort of the Manchester region and still worked on the mags here, but got bored of it quite quickly. I decided to jump ship and join 
a publishing company. Uh, the first one of which I joined was uh, Gremlin Graphics, uh, publishers of Zool. We were planning um, how to promote the game um, effectively. One of one option that came up was uh, the Games Master Show. The, uh, Channel 4 were running the, the, uh, the programme on a regular basis and they decided to do, I think it was called Games Master Live. Uh, being a major publisher in the UK, we signed up for a stall. And what better way to 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 sort of show off your 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 finest Sonic beating game, Zool, than uh, than have somebody running around dressed up as Zool. We approached, I think it was a company based in London to make the outfit. Uh, essentially, it was uh, somebody wearing a, a I want to say a bodysuit. It was like a pair of tights and a and a. So your limbs were all black. Had these sort of weird boots on, an egg for your body, and this 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 helmet which you could barely see out of. It was it was hot, it was sweaty, but you were quite mobile because you did have your own limbs. Uh, at a later show, I was uh, roped into to being a worm, and let me tell you, being a worm is not is not uh, conducive to mobility. And it's <laughs> so we went along and we did the show. There was essentially you you had carte blanche to do whatever you wanted to do. We had a uh, a, a deal going with Chopper Chups, who are probably more well known now than they were back then. They appeared in one of the, the levels of the games. It was all Chupa Chup branded. And in return, we got sent more Chupa Chups than anybody could eat. And we had them to give away at the show. So when you managed to get on the main stage, we started throwing them into the crowd. But that soon became a real health and safety issue. Throwing lollipops is, is not recommended at uh, gigs or anything. I think David Bowie once got a, a lollipop stick in the eye, if memory serves me right. So we had, you have to then go around as Zool with these big tubs of chopper chups and just kids mobbing you. They don't just take one. No, no, no. It's a bit like uh, Halloween where you hold the bowl out and essentially they empty it. Uh, we got through a lot of chopper chups uh, and that was probably the pleasurable bit about uh, doing the show. The dark side came um, where you got sort of, I don't know how old they would be, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds. They see this sort of alien ninja creature uh, and think, oh, that's a ninja. I'm going to take him out. And you get kicked, you get punched, you get pushed. I think at one stage I got bitten. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a scary time, but the game did superbly well. I remember at the one point we had a roll call at the show. Um, I'm pretty sure where we got all of the characters cause there were all sorts of us on there. I don't know if, did Ocean have Curly Colin, the Quavers guy, maybe? They, they did. Yeah. But I'm actually just looking at a picture now. Uh, and there's, there's Colin Curly, there's you, there's James Pond, Sonic, Tails, and Mario. Wow. Oh, I think I uh, did. I get away lightly. Uh, I don't think I would have wanted to be James Pond. Yeah. So, so we all got up there, and and of course, you you know, you have little skits. I'm sure Mario was having a fight with Sonic and all that kind of stuff. All very good fun. I don't remember meeting Dominic Diamond at the event. I've subsequently met him probably in a, in a pub or two in, after the event, and certainly the games master himself, Patrick Moore, wasn't there. Although I used to know Patrick fairly well down on the south coast my dad had a uh, an off license and in the same village and patrick moore used to come in every every week um used to drink a, a greek drink called ouzo um so we used to sell that to him he was a real character so it was it was interesting to know i actually went down and saw him as i was delivering his ouzo one time and was telling him about this uh the games master live show and he, he just had no idea of sort of the scope or scale of what he was involved with the show itself was pretty groundbreaking, and the uh, the live event 
it was certainly fun to be a part of and would I do it again not on your life <laughs> <laughs>
was the, the the game for that particular session. I did likewise try and have a little uh, search on YouTube to see if that particular one or any of those got got uh, recorded because there was cameras around. But if someone's got them, they're keeping all of the recordings. But yeah, it was, it was cool. So he sort of puts the shout out and says, right, who wants to play? And of course, all these kids are shoving up their hands. And it's like, yeah, 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 right. But calm down, right? Who who knows how to play Super Bomb Man? You know, a, a third of them put their hands down. He's just like, okay, right, okay. And so he picks out four people. And I didn't get picked, unfortunately. And then when they're up on stage, he gets them to introduce themselves and said, just to be clear, you all know how to play Super Bomberman, yeah? And they're like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All different ages, heights. Uh, And so they all get sit down start of the thing it's all up on the screen and you you can see everyone in all four corners of the game and then it gets everyone to do a big countdown three two one go and as soon as it goes on zero all four players drop a bomb where they start and and they just instantly block and he tore into them quite a bit and was quite displeased he's like wait a minute what happened there? You guys all said you know how to play it. And I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I think they did a bit better on the second time around, but I was a bit miffed because I was like, well, I could have done that. But I was I was being honest and uh, I saw him. That, that was funny. He wasn't impressed. Um, so I think looking back on it now and obviously seeing other ones uh, over the years, it was perfect, perfectly fine for what for for me at that age. They had reproduced the set. Um, so they, they, they tried a bit to tie it in. It was it was heavily an expo that, that was just pushing products left, right, and center. Uh, I'd forgotten the Quavers part of it actually. There was probably like one of the like headline sponsors and with pushover and everything, but that didn't stick prominently in my mind. I think it was good. I certainly had fun. I think uh, I just missed out because I didn't get there early enough to get in the queues to have a go on like Sonic Two and Street Fighter. is Phil Lunt and at the time of Games Master Live I was 14. I think I had a Mega Drive and a SNES at the time and an Atari ST for my sins. Cool. Games I was into, uh, anything really, Mario, Sonic, um, I was due to get Sonic 2 for Christmas that year I believe. Street Fighter, Street Fighter 2, I was big into Street Fighter 2, in fact that was the main reason I got the SNES, uh, it was because I got Street Fighter 2 with it, yeah. I think the first time I played it was uh, <laughs> actually against against Dominic Diamond um, when the local uh, Virgin Game Centre opened in Bolton. And and then I got it on on the snow. I played the arcade, and I'd got the original Street Fighter on my Amiga. So yeah, I was already covered, really. Like I said, I'd met Dominic in Bolton a couple of months before, and I think he'd mentioned to some of the other guys that that it was happening. And then yeah, yeah, it was it was obviously on one of the uh, one of the little features that they did on the show. I mean, I was I was I had some pretty cool parents. They were fine with me going on my own anyway, but mentioned it at school. And straight away, there were like other people interested, guys who weren't allowed eventually. It, it ended up there the just being like three of us went down. But, um, but yeah, there was a lot of interest. It was just like not many people were allowed to go. It was mad. It was absolutely crazy. We got there really early. I can't remember exactly what time the doors opened, but we got like a seven o'clock in the morning train down on the Saturday. There's, there's something to compare it to, something bizarre, but there's like 
There's an episode of Simpsons where Bart Simpson goes to the the Mad Magazine offices in New York, and they open the doors, and he goes like into the offices where they're working, and it's just like absolute crazy. Everything's going on, and everything's like chaos. It was a little bit like that. You just like got through the doors. And just everything. There was like the Helter Skelter and and people going around in costume and uh, and and people of all ages as well. That was a pretty cool thing. It wasn't just kids or teenagers. It was just like just everyone. It was just mad, absolutely manic. I do seem to remember I played Pilot Wings somewhere because I'd been considering getting that and and I did later in the day. But yeah, I, I played that on 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 the snares somewhere. It's one of those where it was just like such such a blur. I was trying to think earlier, and it's like I can't even remember eating that day. We all had our little backpacks with stuff on, like packed lunches and whatever. But I just I can't. I think we were just fueled on 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 pop and crisps, and it was just it was just a blur. We were just going from one thing to the next. It was just absolutely crazy. But we, like I say, we saw the Amiga um, uh, piano keyboard thing, which Ian, my mate. Um, he got up and did it. I'm starting to think now if if somebody actually came down to the audience and and we were primed for who was going to actually be asked on stage. Um, now Ian had, we're all the same age. He was always into musical theatre and he was like a bit of a singer and an actor anyway. Um, still is. Um, and I and I think they were asking for people with experience and he had it uh, so that when uh, when the presenter came on stage they 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 knew who they were going to get. I seem to think that it was like a karaoke thing and they got a couple of people on stage, they did songs and then it was audience cheering. And so it was a little bit, who gets the loudest cheer? I seem to think that that was it. And then, like I say, they alternated that and, and, the, and the main games master thing through the day. So there were a few of these like pianos up for grabs and Ian, Ian got his and then they sort of like kept it behind stage so we didn't have to cart it around all day. Because it was like, that was an expensive piece of kit, and I don't, I don't think Ian used it. Uh, <laughs> uh, last time I asked him, he said he didn't know where it had gone, what had happened. His parents had moved it, and it ended up in the loft somewhere, and he had no idea what had happened to it. So yeah, so I'd met, I'd met Dominic whenever it was when the the Bolton uh, Virgin Game Centre had opened, and we'd played Street Fighter. I picked Gal Sim, he picked Chun Li, and he. Uh, kicked my backside and then i'd kind of like gone with this you know cocky 14 year old ah, i want a rematch blah 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 so yeah we tried to catch him between shows but loads of people were were trying to sort of like catch him for autographs and whatever and whatever we'd met him and had a chat and bugged him essentially and probably annoyed him and then came to i don't know it was sometime early afternoon i think it was and we got to the front so i think this was the first one when when me and my mates got to the front and he only wanted people who'd played sonic 2 before so that was the thing we want people up who's played it because it was the um it was the bonus game you know was running down the the tunnel now ian had got it and had brought it around the night before. So I think I'd probably played 20 minutes, if that, because I was getting it for Christmas, so I haven't got it yet. So blagged it a bit. He picked me. I went up on stage. And then it's all like, you know, you're just on adrenaline. It's it's like you sat there and you're trying to focus on the screen in front of you, but you're aware you're on the big screen and everything's and the, there's the commentator and everything. I think the, the co-commentator was Jim 
Douglas, who I think was the editor of the Games Master magazine. He was up, he worked for Future anyway. The other guy who went up against me was he must have been in his late twenties. He was a much older guy, and I was like, oh, I'm doomed. Luckily for me, he was absolutely hopeless. For those who don't know the the, the Sonic Two bonus game, you know, you're running down the tunnel. You've got to collect the rings. If you jump, that puts you in front of the other guy. He didn't jump. He didn't jump at all. <laughs> he, he did not know that you could get in front of the other person. So I jumped, got in front of him, and then that was it. So admittedly, it was easy. And like I say, I just romped it home and completely whitewashed the guy. Now, we hadn't seen this happen at all uh, on previous sessions, but Dominic came down after taking the mickey out of this guy. I think he just put his hand on my shoulder and said, you stay there. We want another challenger. <laughs> I was like, oh, what i've won i can't believe you're doing this to me so they got somebody else on roughly the same age as me we played it again it was much more of a challenge you just go into the the zone and you just completely like tunnel vision panic adrenaline and won it won it that time properly like an, an actual challenge so um yeah that was it had a little bit of a of a of a chat afterwards on stage but you just kind of like pins and needles again into your hands and you're just like, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> just coming out with nonsense. But yeah, they didn't have Games Master Golden Joysticks for that. It was you won a, a free game voucher for the uh, for the Comet uh, retail stand. And then I went off and got Pilot Wings, which I think being mercenary, I think even though I did want it, but I think it was also one of the more expensive games. So I think I got my money's worth. I'd like to thank everyone who took the time out to speak with us about their memories of Games Master Live, including Nick Clarkson, who gave us a fascinating insight into what it's like being Zool at the events of Games Master Live. If you want to talk about unique perspectives on the proceedings, the guy inside the ninja ant costume is going to have a unique perspective on the proceedings. <laughs> and to Rick Henderson uh, as well, who gave us his insights uh, working behind the scenes. And it'll be very interesting to speak to him again when we get to Games Master Live 93. Which we will cover, but we'll cover cover as a regular episode because Lord Alive, they decided they were going to be bought enough to try and turn that into a regular episode. Or two. Is it two episodes? I can't remember, to be honest. I'm looking forward to reaching it in the timeline, though. Definitely. I'm also immensely grateful to everyone who we spoke to because, again, not only did it mean we weren't hanging on my recollections, but it also helped aid my memory. Because it was a long time ago. It was 28 years and so much has happened since then. So many... Drinks have been consumed, <laughs> mild concussions, other substances. So it was great to walk down memory lane with a few people. Again, thanks to you, Luke, for getting so many of those interviews put together. Oh, it was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it, particularly because I didn't get to go. So I got to live vicariously through other people's memories of the events. But that is all we've got time for on this bonus episode of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening and downloading and supporting this podcast in any way you can. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at under console pod and we're on instagram at under dot console and if you want to hear next week's episode a week early and ad free head on over to patreon.com forward slash under console pod also don't forget you can join us on discord the link for which can be found on our website on our twitter on our instagram 
or you can just ask us. It's also in the show notes for this podcast as well, which I've now added it on Patreon because someone pointed out on our Discord that I haven't added it into the Patreon post. So they were like, I've no idea where the link for this Discord is. Still don't know what Discord's really about, but that's okay. We're old. (laughs) But we'll be back next week with episode 11 of series two, back into the main timeline of this show. Uh, But thank you all so much for listening. Take care. Goodbye. Good night. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.